Our scripture says from Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 15. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your ancestors, Terah and his sons, Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. They took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in its midst, and afterwards I brought you out. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. When I cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did to Egypt. Afterwards, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of Jordan. They fought a few, and they handed them over to you. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then King Barak, son of Zippor, Zippor of Moab set out to fight against Israel. He sent and invited Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, but I will not listen to Balaam. Therefore he blessed you, so I rescued you out of his hand. When he went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I hand them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove out before you the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by a sword or by a bow. I gave you a land on which you are not wavered, and towns that you are not built, and you live in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive yards that you did not plant. Now therefore, revere the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served of Egypt beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brett, for that beautiful reading. And we do invite other middle schoolers to head off to Bibles and Bagels if you would like to. If you'd prefer to stay here in the sanctuary, we welcome that also. Let's pray. 
By your grace and mercy, holy God, continue to speak to us now your word of truth and love and grace. We need you, Lord. We need you in ways more than our mouths are able to articulate. And so speak to us, fill us, bless us. For we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When I was a boy growing up, my mother would often take me and my four siblings into New York City to visit our grandparents in their home on Charles Street in Greenwich Village. They lived in the top floor of an, a beautiful brownstone. It's where they lived for over 50 years. It's where they raised my mother and her sister and their two brothers. It was a small apartment, so small it was hard to imagine how six people lived in it. Just three small bedrooms, one bathroom, but it was filled with love. Filled with the smells of countless meals that had been cooked and shared together in that space. Filled with a sense of belonging and of home. It was also a space filled with physical reminders of how much their faith in God, their identity as devout Roman Catholics meant to them. A framed photograph on the wall of the Pope. Prayer cards from funerals they had attended. Well-worn rosary beads on the mantle above the fireplace. And a variety of religious statues. Just a few of the expressions of their devout Christian faith that their small and packed apartment was filled with. Now, to get to the apartment, we had to climb three flights of stairs. The steps were wide, and the wood would creak loudly as we raced to the top to see who'd get there first to get that hug and kiss from our grandmother. And right at the entrance to my grandparents' apartment, right at the top of all those stairs, was a large and old-school Italian Roman Catholic-style painting of the Virgin Mary. It was in black and white. Mary was standing on a cloud as though in heaven as a sign of her devotion to God. Her hands were together in prayer. Below her were three children on their knees, their hands also together in prayer. It was a painting I'll never forget, an expression of my grandparents' faith. I looked at more times than I could count as I ran to the entrance to their apartment and into my grandparents' arms. And so about 10 days ago, as we gathered in my mother's apartment at Fellowship Village to sort through her belongings, to decide which items we would give away or throw away or keep, I was drawn to the countless family photographs that my mother lovingly had on display. And in particular, I was drawn to that framed painting of the Virgin Mary from her childhood home that she had taken possession of following her parents' deaths. And I don't remember who noticed it first, but as we took that painting from the wall and were deciding what to do with it, who would hold on to it? 
we discovered for the first time on the back of it, a cardboard back which was yellowed and fragile with age, a prayer that my grandfather had written. Seeing it was like going back in time. It was in my grandfather's unmistakable handwriting. It was dated Friday, August 4th, 1961. It began, keep our family in thy care. It then listed about 30 names of our extended family. My grandfather, Michael A. Cazenza, my grandmother, Sue E. Cazenza, each of their four children in order of age, and including the name of their spouse, if there was one, and children of any had yet been born. My parents, along with our two older brothers, were each listed, Betty and Jay Jones, and sons, Michael and Brian. The rest of us had not yet been born. It went on to list other cousins and aunts and uncles. Toward the bottom it said, and all of our other relatives and friends, that God's love and grace might be over all of them. And the prayer that my grandfather had written concluded by saying, also keep in thy care President John F. Kennedy, the vice president, and all the cabinet members and leaders in our government guide and protect them in this hour of great peril to our America and to our church and to the world. Amen. And it was signed with my grandfather's initials, M-A-C. It was an emotional and moving day being there in my mother's apartment just a few days following her unexpected death. And it was an emotional and moving moment to discover that prayer, that heartfelt statement of faith in God's goodness and care, that statement of commitment to the promises of God, written by my grandfather over 61 years ago. That of all the lowercase g gods they could have chosen, they chose the God who created the heavens and the earth. They chose the God who came to live among us and redeem us of our sin and brokenness. The God born to Mary in Bethlehem, revealed in Jesus Christ. The God who oftentimes, not always, but is oftentimes revealed in the life and ministry of the church. They chose. And even though I have been a faithful Presbyterian for a good few years now and no longer identify as a Roman Catholic, those who sometimes give more attention to the important role of Mary in the story of our faith, I will forever treasure that painting and the prayer my grandfather wrote on the back of it. The famous evangelist Billy Graham used to have a weekly radio program called The Hour of Decision. Normally it was a, a tape recording of the service and message he'd given at a recent rally at a place like Yankee Stadium. And at the conclusion of every message, Graham would issue an invitation for anyone who felt so led to make a commitment to Jesus Christ and to do so by getting up out of their seat and making their way to the front where Graham had been preaching. Coming forward, 
Graham would say, was an outward demonstration of this inner desire. He insisted that those so moved would take these physical steps to begin a new spiritual journey. This was for them the hour of decision. That's what he called it, the hour of decision. Billy Graham was tapping into something perhaps even deeper than he knew. Any time a person feels prompted to leave the present in order to embrace a new pathway in life, a, a decision is required. It's not a decision just made in the head or in the heart. It's something embodied. It requires a physical step forward, leaving behind our, our seat or friends or comforts or something else as we start to walk vulnerably into an unknown future. As I say those words, Montgomery Finley, I think about all of you climbing onto that plane in Indianapolis this morning. Dan Allender, in his book entitled Leading with a Limp, Turning Your Struggles into Strengths, says that to decide requires a death, a dying to a thousand options, the putting aside of a legion of possibilities to choose just one. The root for the word decide is, is the same as in the word homicide or pesticide, and it means to cut off. All decisions cut us off, separate us from nearly infinite options as we select a single path. Of all the paths, all the options before us, we choose just one. It's what happens every time two people get married. Of all the known and unknown options that are out there. You say yes to just one and no to all the others. And so in our scripture this morning that Brett read so beautifully, Joshua is urging his people to make a choice. He is the appointed leader of the Israelites. They'd been traveling for 40 years together seeking the promised land and they found it. The only problem was there were so many pagan idols in this new land, many false gods that others worshiped. And the Hebrew people were being drawn away from God. They were being drawn away from the life of obedience and faith that God intended for them. They were being drawn to the sights and the sounds, the allure of their culture and its countless false gods. And Joshua saw what was happening. He knew it was time for his people to make a decision. He knew it was time to make a hard choice. And so Joshua called for a ceremony to renew the covenant between God and the children of Israel. He recites all the signs and wonders God has shown them, beginning with the promise to Abraham and Sarah and retelling the story of the Exodus when they were brought out of their bondage in Egypt. Some of the events were from hundreds of years in the past. No one would have still been alive who would have been there to experience them firsthand. Other events he named likely felt more recent as though they had just happened. Yet he wove them together into one story. The one story 
of God leading them, God protecting them, God bringing them into a good land. The story of God giving, God promising, God multiplying, God delivering. And Joshua urges them to make a choice. Who will you serve, he asks. You've made the decision before, but we're at a point on the journey where you need to make it again. This is a decision that I have made and that my family has made. We will serve the Lord. But how about you? What's your decision? Of all the possible gods in this land that you might worship and serve, to which gods are you going to say no? And to which god are you going to say yes? See, Joshua knows that in life it is all too easy to weigh the options but never to choose, to flirt rather than to wed, to delay, to postpone, to indefinitely ponder. He knows that there are those moments in life when it serves us well to have our question marks replaced by a period or better yet by an exclamation mark. He knows that once in a while moments come along where we have to make a choice. And so, friends, I just gently ask, what about you? Is there a hard choice that is before you right now? And just maybe in your relationship with God, do you find yourself at a crossroad? It has be been getting clearer all the time that you were at a point of decision, a, a point of an intersection, and God is calling you to make a choice about your faith. Is there a lowercase g God that you have been worshiping instead of the one true God? The God born in Bethlehem to dwell among us, the God revealed in Jesus Christ, the God who loves you so much Maybe it's the God of popular opinion, or power, or money, or position. Maybe it's the God of comfort, or familiarity, or the path of least resistance. What I'm getting at is, is there a decision, perhaps a hard decision, that God is calling you to make? A decision about who it is you will worship a decision about who it is you will serve. God's word to you and to me this day is choose, choose. Remember how good and faithful and loving I have been. Remember all of it and choose that one day someone might find a prayer that you wrote or look at your life and know what mattered to you the most. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.